0: Over the weekend, former President Donald Trump made a visit to Phoenix and used his rally as a way to cast dispersions on the results of the 2020 election and to hound his political rivals. Some Republicans, who have announced their campaigns for upcoming elections, used the rally as a way to try to get in with the influential former president.
1: During his time on stage, Trump made a few things clear. First, he hasn't gotten over the 2020 election, and second, He's keeping an eye on all these folks who are in a position to do something about the ongoing audit of Maricopa County's ballots. He didn't make clear what his plans are for 2024, but everyone was listening as always.
0: And when it came to Arizona Republicans, there was no hiding his favoritism. Former Phoenix TV news anchor Carrie Lake has identified herself as a proud Trump Republican, and she received the longest applause. The current chair of the Arizona Republican Party, Kelly Ward, made note that her position was to make what she called wimpy, fake Republicans into real Republicans.
1: The digs weren't subtle. They seemed to be targeting Arizona Governor Doug Ducey and also Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich, who would be in a position to do something about the audit results whenever they are forwarded to him. Governor Ducey's term ends in 2023, and it's unclear at this point what, if any, elective operations he might pursue next.
0: Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm your co-host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez, with Ron Hansen. Today, we're joined by USA Today investigative business reporter Craig Harris. He uncovered a tangled web with Governor Doug Ducey at the center. Craig, welcome.
2: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: So in simple terms... What did your investigation find?
2: Well, in simple terms, it's kind of hard to say in simple terms. This involves the governor of Arizona, Doug Ducey, a small gas station in Flagstaff and a millionaire, maybe billionaire in Texas and uh, current and former lobbyists, uh, not the former and current employees of the governor's office, a couple of U.S. senators and President Trump and uh, two public employees who tried to stop a $100 million giveaway and ultimately got fired. So that is kind of the very, very high version of this kind of tangled web. Um, and we can maybe break a little bit down as we go along.
1: Okay, so let's, let's do that. Tell us a bit about the, the Texas millionaire slash possible billionaire. Who is he? What is it that he does? And how does he factor into this?
2: You bet. His name is G. Brent Ryan. He's very uh, famous uh, for what he does, and he runs a company called Ryan LLC, and they're pretty involved in almost every state around the country, and their objective is to get tax refunds. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, They're very, very good at it, and they have lobbyists around the country who basically go through back channels to get tax breaks for their clients, Um, In this case, they tried to get a small tax break for a company called Carter Oil. It was only $12,000, and that company is up in Flagstaff, and they felt that they shouldn't be paying tax on this special kind of fuel they sold to mining companies. But here's the problem for the state. If that a small $12,000 refund was approved for Carter Oil, it would have applied to every single mining company in the state, and it would have resulted into more than $100 million coming out of the state's general fund. And so the folks, there are two folks at the Department of Revenue, a guy named Grant Newell, who was the deputy director, and a guy named Carlton Woodruff, who was the director. And they said, no way, we're not going to approve this. And they stood their ground. And so um, Ryan sued them. And they won the case in Maricopa County Superior Court. Actually, they won the case in tax court. And so the folks at Revenue, along with Attorney General Mark Burnovich, said, hey, we've got a good case here, so we're going to appeal. So they appealed the case to the Court of Appeals. And during that time is when the full court press happened from the Ducey administration.
1: Okay, so let's hear a bit about that. Who was involved from the Ducey team and in what capacity?
2: Well, the first group uh, is they're a group of three. There's Mike Liberti, who's was the former general counsel, Kirk Adams, who's the former chief of staff and Danny Seiden, who's the former deputy chief of staff. They quit the governor's office and they, within four months, uh, Mike Liberti and Danny Seiden started working for Ryan LLC. They were lobbying very aggressively at the department of revenue to get them to settle this lawsuit for their clients. And At the same time they were doing this, they had stepped pretty close to Governor Ducey because their firm, Greenberg Triag, was also defending Ducey in a federal court case so that he could continue to uh, legally uh, appoint John Kyle and then later Martha McSally for the uh, seat that was vacated when John McCain passed away. So those two, Mike Liberty and Danny Seiden, were pressuring revenue officials to agree to this settlement. Um, When that didn't work, uh, Kirk Adams started lobbying. He had left the governor's office about eight months later. He started lobbying officials at the Department of Revenue. Um, So you had all three of these folks uh, doing a full court press, trying to get $100 million out of the state through back channels, not through the legislature, no public hearings, no openness at all, trying to get the Department of Revenue to sign over $100 million to all of these clients or Ryan LLC.
0: So these guys who are close to Governor Doug Ducey are working on behalf of their clients. What's the, what's the rub here? What's the problem?
2: Well, the problem is, is that they're supposed to wait a year according to the state's conflict of interest laws and uh, cooling off period laws. But the, the other problem is the, the law is never enforced. Uh, it's rare, And so you have an issue of whether the attorney general's office is going to enforce it. Here's the other situation. You had folks inside the governor's office also working on this. You had a person named Gretchen Conger. She was the deputy chief of staff, and she was also pressuring the Department of Revenue to give this refund to Ryan's clients. And uh, the situation with Gretchen Conger is that her dad's company, Freeport MacMoran, which is based in downtown Phoenix, they would have got about $10 million in refunds. And so she worked on this case for almost a year until out of the blue, she decides, well, maybe I've got a conflict of interest here. And she decides to pull out after she'd spent an entire year pressuring the Department of Revenue to turn to cash in uh, these refunds for these mining companies. And so, um, you know, Freeport McMaren says, Well, we had nothing really to do with that at all. And, you know, there's it's just a coincidence. But here's the thing. Her dad, Red Conger, is also a big campaign donor to Doug Ducey and folks at Freeport McIlwain are also big campaign donors to Doug Ducey. So there was that situation there. And it's also against the law uh, to work on any case in state government or even at the the city or town or county level that would directly uh, benefit a family member. So the law is pretty clear on that, too.
1: Can you give us a sense of what the governor's office, um, their position was on this tax situation?
2: Well, their position was interesting. They contend that the reason that they wanted a settlement is that it would save the state money, which makes no sense because Ryan wanted a hundred million dollars. Period. They weren't willing to take a haircut. They weren't willing like. And when most times when you have a financial settlement you will take a bit of a haircut or take less money to settle and and get it all over with. Ryan wasn't willing to do that. It wanted the full $100 million. And so the folks at the Department of Revenue and even Attorney General Bernhardt were like, this is stupid. This is a no-brainer. We should fight this because we have everything to gain and nothing to lose by settling. So that's why they continued to hold out to fight this in court. And their view also was, well, if we don't want this Court of Appeals, we can always go to the state Supreme Court and win on that case. So that was kind of attacked from, if you want to call it, the public servants, who appeared to be two of the only people who had the taxpayers in mind. They didn't want to give away $100 million. So,
1: Craig, in the end, two longtime public employees from the Department of Revenue ended up getting fired. What were their roles in all of this?
2: Well, you have two public employees. One was named Grant Newell. He was the deputy director. Um, he had worked the legislature under Kirk Adams, uh, coincidentally. And then you had the director named Carlton Woodruff, who had actually worked for Doug Ducey when Doug Ducey was the state treasurer. And these two men fought these overtures over and over and over from folks inside the Ducey administration and folks outside the Ducey administration. And what happened is ultimately a whistleblower let the attorney general's office know what was going on about this in um, like early 2000. And then what happened shortly thereafter is the court of appeals uh, ruled against Ryan LLC and ruled in the favor of the Department of Revenue, so the case at that point um, had the state had won the case, and so what was going on now was, well, what's uh, Ryan LLC going to do? And they decided not to appeal the case, so it, it ultimately died. Now, Christmas of last year, Doug Ducey fired those two men at the Department of Revenue, and they were said that they were fired at the time because they. Uh, Made, took an issue on Proposition 208, which is a whole nother can of worms and a whole nother issue of, of taxing. And so that was the reason given the time. But both Carlton and Grant told me they said that was just uh, a, a made up reason. They feel that that was the reason they were let go. The Deucey administration couldn't fire them uh, any sooner than that because it would have kind of set off more alarm bells. And so that's why they felt they were fired on all this. Um, And at the end of the day, you know, I asked Grant and I asked Carlton, well, why do you think there was such pressure on this? And uh, Grant's thought was that G. Brent Ryan is very wealthy. He has helped uh, other folks, including President Donald Trump, who's a friend of his. And he's also helped former Texas Governor Rick Perry with his presidential campaign a few years ago. So he thinks that this was all done so Brent Ryan could help Governor Doug Ducey if he should run for president in two years or announce he's going to run for president in a couple of years. Uh, Governor Ducey has said he's not going to run for the U.S. Senate. And to get someone like Brent Ryan to help you in Texas with this kind of money and his kind of power would be a big pull to Governor Ducey should he run for president.
0: People do seem to be pretty familiar with the governors political brand. I think less really seems to be understood about how he governs. What did your series reveal about the way Ducey is governing, legislating from behind the desk in the executive suite of the governor's office?
2: That's a great question. And one thing that we found is that it's pretty hard to find Governor Ducey's fingerprints um, on this whole process. But Folks in his administration kept saying to the officials at Revenue, Well, you know, this is what the governor wants. This is what the governor wants. And a woman who worked for Ryan would say, Well, you know what Doug wants. I mean, she was on a first name basis. And so it kind of shows how he wasn't willing to pick up a phone and tell the folks at Revenue what to do, but he let his deputies do it. He let his top lieutenants do it. And that's kind of the way he governs. He uses his position. Uh, to raise a lot of money that he's ran when he's been governor, as other causes. And he's going to be a big fundraiser for the Republican Governors Association. But you don't see him out front. Um, you don't see him out front along during the situation with the with the COVID situation in Arizona. He's avoided all press conferences for months. He's avoided any kind of public appearances for months. Uh, and so he really tries to govern behind the scenes and let folks carry out his wishes and, you know, some, if some folks said, well, maybe the governor didn't know about this, well, he, it was pretty evident that when you have his three of his top lieutenants who had left his office, his second in command, they don't do things in that office without his blessings. They don't go rogue over there. So he was quietly orchestrating, a lot of folks would say, this whole process.
1: Okay, Craig, so give us a sense of the reaction that you've gotten to this whole series
2: Well, at first, the governor's office ignored it, uh, which is very curious because they are so active on social media. Uh, The story was picked up not only in the Arizona Republic and run on the front page for five consecutive days. It was also picked up in USA Today and had a big uh, following on social media. Uh, There are a lot of folks who are critical of the governor. um, And the governor's office didn't even respond till several days later, and they had their press secretary, who's usually not very political and not very snarky on Twitter, kind of do a semi-rebuttal, uh, but it wasn't much of a of a of a takedown, so to speak. Almost every point that he had in there, we had addressed in the story. Um, other folks I had talked to who actually were close to this administration said the governors Folks put out a message that just ignore this. This is nothing. This they use actually kind of a naughty word to describe what this was um, that I can't say here. And so they try to completely ignore and downplay the story, which is not really their M.O., So it was really fascinating. Now, the one thing that they did have, um, I misspelled the person's name initially, and I corrected it within an hour of the story going up. So, uh, I did have one small error and the funny thing with the Deuce administration is that if you make one little tiny error, they, uh, capitulate that, that everything is wrong because you got one thing wrong. So, Um, The fact of the matter is we corrected the person's name. It was a silly error. We got it wrong. We corrected it within an hour. And they have not asked for a single retraction, a single correction of everything else. Um, Our story was based on about 3,500 pages of public records, dozens of interviews. And actually, we had to take legal action to get the governor's office to cough up a lot of records, which should be very available, like his public schedule, which they fought tooth and nail to release that.
0: All right, Craig, well, stellar, stellar work. And if folks want to follow you on Twitter, what's your Twitter handle?
2: Uh, I am now at Craig Harris USAT for USA Today. So that's Craig Harris USAT.
0: Thanks so much.
2: You bet. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir.
1: All right, listeners, let's go to Afterthoughts. Yvonne, this story by Craig Harris in some ways was one of the more exhaustive examinations of one episode of the Ducey administration here in Arizona. You covered the governor for some time. Um, What did you make of this story? What stood out to you in terms of what Craig was reporting about the the governor's method of doing business and, and those around him?
0: So I think he sort of touched on it towards the the very end of, of his remarks when we asked him, you know, what does this sort of reveal about how Doug Ducey legislates or how he governs? And uh, it is the most exhaustive review um, of, of how he is governing. And it's, like Craig said, that of an executive. I mean, he... Knows what he wants. He um, seems to have a team that will go out and sort of get it, um, whether inside of the governor's office or out. And um, I suspect as he continues to have a bigger presence on the national stage, uh, stories like this, uh, examinations of his record as governor, uh, will um, only sort of continue. Ron, you covered the rally with uh, President Trump uh, last weekend, and Ducey played an outsized role in that uh, rally, even though he wasn't physically there. What happened?
1: Yeah. So his name was uh, rarely invoked, but he was never far from the minds of the participants, it seemed. Uh, This was not a Ducey crowd, to be clear. The president obviously parted ways with Doug Ducey when the governor certified the results of Arizona's elections and rejected the phone call coming in from the president at that very moment. They have not been besties since. That's pretty clear. It was also clear, though, that The others who are continuing to seek office in 2022, including, for example, the Republicans who are vying for the right to replace Doug Ducey, are also sort of uh, in line with Donald Trump. They were not going to do anything to uphold the Ducey reputation. They weren't going to uh, come to his defense. Kelly Ward, the chair of the Arizona Republican Party, really seemed to be going after Doug Ducey when she talked about wimpy Republicans and it was pretty clear that, uh, that there was no love lost for uh, Republicans who view uh, the, the betrayal of Donald Trump at the end of last year. And they hold this personally liable to Governor Ducey. And the governor, it's uh, sort of paradoxical. He is now sort of more nationally involved through his position as, Republic, as head of the Republican Governors Association – and yet he's never seemed more estranged from his party in some ways, certainly here at home. So it was an interesting spectacle, if nothing else, to see the way that uh, Governor Ducey was not received warmly, was not even present at this event, uh, where he really was sort of not welcome uh, because of his, his prior leadership.
0: So on that note, there are still some national Republicans who are hoping the governor will jump into the Republican primary race for U.S. Senate in 2022. That's something that he has previously said he was not campaigning for using present tense. Um, Given what you saw with these base Republicans at this rally, the former president's comments about him, would he even stand a chance getting through a... Republican primary in his, you know, home state of of Arizona.
1: You know, it's a good question because uh, I think this may be one area of common ground with Doug Ducey and Donald Trump at this point. Neither one of them wants him in the Senate. That was clear. It you know, the governor has been a very disciplined sort of establishment type Republican who has carefully planned his career, and it's just hard to see how he would jump into a race like the Senate race uh, unless it was very clear to him that the, the field was clear and that he was able to take aim at Democrat Mark Kelly, uh, which is the objective of all Republicans in 2022. Um, in, at the present moment, it's just hard to see how that could even begin to happen.
0: That's it for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you wanna reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget.
1: And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Amanda Liberto, Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com.
0: Also be sure to check out Valley 101, an Arizona Republic and azcentral.com podcast that answers all your questions about the Valley. From silly to serious, you ask the questions and we find the answers. For The Gaggle, I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez. We'll see you next week.